Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. Welcome back to Microfamous Conversations. My guest today, Patrick Francis, is the host of Everyday Millionaire, which I was fortunate to be a guest on, so you should check out that episode. But more importantly, Patrick is the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network, also known to its members as RAIN. They are based out of Canada and making lots of inroads here in the States. And what they do is they built this amazing community of investors and, and a culture and an environment that gives proven education of real estate investment strategies, but also critical economic research, which is really interesting to me. So we talked with, with Patrick about how the organization initially broke into a very crowded market and became micro-famous in that space of investors. We also talk about what their original value proposition was and how that shifted to where now it's more about investing strategies and critical on the ground economic research so that investors know where to go and how they've really put research at the heart of their value proposition, which is an interesting thing to do because what that does is it forces you to maintain cutting edge intellectual capital, right? You can't be an organization based around cutting edge research if you're not you know, basing your entire operations around uncovering new information. And so we talk about how they do that. It's one of the things that I think a lot of coaches and consultants miss out on because so many of, uh, of us uh, ride off of the intellectual capital of something we did five or 10 years ago, and we don't have a direct connection to one-on-one -on -one clients or, or you know, some other mechanism of keeping our ear to the ground and really keeping our finger on the pulse of what's happening in our industry. You know, there's, there's people listening that can think of coaches that have been essentially riding off of the same content they created 40 years ago. Uh, and in some rare cases that can work, but most of the time I feel like a new coach or a new consultant on the market, your initial intellectual capital that you roll out with will last you for about three and to maybe five years. And then you've got to refresh and you've got to innovate, right? So how do you do that? That's what we're going to talk about with Patrick. We also talk about how do they take the research that they're producing and get it into the hands of their members, right? And we talk a little bit about news jacking and trend jacking and some of the fun things that they do to basically get people's attention, but then use that initial way of getting attention to then come come in alongside that and present the research that they have created so it's a it's packaged in a way that their members want to consume now we also talk about how they're shifting to virtual events and this is a big topic right what's interesting about rain is that they were already shifting to a virtual platform they were already seeing the benefits of getting more introverted people involved and, and doing virtual events and, and different things like that to build the relationships within their community with, with members with each other. And so when the whole COVID thing hit, uh, they were perfectly positioned because they were already in the middle of that 
transition into a virtual platform. And so we talk about how that's shaked out, what their experience has been, and lessons learned from that. And then that leads us right into the meat of it, which is the role of values and just having the values conversation with everyone on your team, with, with using that as a filter for the types of clients and business partners that you take on and the types of opportunities that you pursue, and really how getting clear about your values, even if it's just with yourself, especially if you're kind of the sole owner of your, uh, of your organization, of your company, when you are super crystal clear on your own values, it ensures that you attract the right people and repel everyone else. Just, it just kind of happens naturally and organically, right? So being clear on your values is essential to attracting the right people. So this is a really deep, really interesting conversation. I loved it. I'm so excited for you to hear it. And uh, I hope you check out Patrick's podcast as well, The Everyday Millionaire. Go get that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the usual places. Keep an eye out for my episode there. And without further ado, Let's bring in Patrick Francie. Patrick, officially welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. I know, I'm super excited for you to be here too. We're going to record my episode on your podcast tomorrow, so we'll have some fun there. But when you and I really originally connected, I was really fascinated by the organization that you built. Um, and I want to, there, there's a couple of really interesting questions that I think people that get to know your organization will will want to know. There's some things that selfishly I want to ask you. But uh, before we get into the, all that, just give us a sense of kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis and then a little bit about what the organization looks like. Well, and, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, as a CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network, you know, my, my job is really to manage the team, you know, lay out the vision, make those financial plans, do all the things that we do as we step into kind of a new a new world you know the emerging future is changing uh, you know my job is to support the team guide the team and and my primarily my management team in going to the next level of what we're trying to do now the real estate investment network has been around 28 years so we're in the space called providing education research and solutions for individuals who want to grow a financial future uh, security, certainty, uh, financial freedom, investing in real estate. And, and we don't sell real estate. The model itself is a model of just providing that economic research, you know, under the fundamental premise that, you know, as real estate investors, we want to look into the future. We want to be able to see where real estate is going. We want to be able to see where rents are going. And the research provides us the decisions that we do that based on a very regional model. So in other words, if you, depending on what region you want to invest in, you would then look at the economic fundamentals of that region to understand where real estate is going to go, the best strategy to use, the best tactic to use, and then make those investment decisions from there. All right. So take me back 28 years ago when you were breaking into the market. What was the, what was the value proposition originally at that time that you guys got known for and has, and you know, maybe com- compare that to what it is now. It may be the same, but what, how did you guys originally break in? Well, you know, 28 years ago, the the world of real estate investing is you know was significantly different than it is today. And actually, 28 years ago, when you know rain came to be, it was a you know a group of individuals who were investing in real estate, and then said we need to have a exit strategy. Let's let's build something that we can then set people up to take that our exit our portfolios by having education to provide you know, people that would be interested in investing in real estate. So back in those days, early on, it was really about uh, having an exit plan for investing in real estate that was being done. Now, 
what happened from that was it became about educating people to make decisions. So it was true in-depth education. Let's teach people how to invest in real estate, and then we can provide them the product that, that makes sense for them. But they could also take that education and do something else on their own with it. So that was what it was all about. Now, that evolved and changed and grew. And ultimately, what came out of that was this whole context and concept for community. So, you know, what started to evolve in that, Matt, was that when you put yourself in an environment to succeed, surround yourself with like-minded individuals with a, with, in a community, and then actually drive the culture, have a standard of performance, have a way of being so that that culture actually is collaborative. It is supportive. It's not like, well, I'm not going to tell you my secrets because I learned some shit. I'm not going to tell you what that is. It's like, hey, listen, you're just starting out. Let me tell you what I learned. Let me show, share with you the mistakes I made so you don't make them. And let me help you uh, get started. So that was what was the community that got built. It was built in Western Canada. And then, uh, you know, certainly grew to be a national organization, uh, you know, fairly quickly, you know, let's say in the first 10 years of the business, uh, mm -hmm. the past 20 years has been national right across uh, Canada, uh, you know, certainly into the US, we're starting to get more and more uh, interest because the methodology works, doesn't matter where you're at. Awesome. Okay. There's, there's a lot to dig into. I want to come back to the community part in a second um, because there's a lot to dig into there. Let's go back to the research because it's, it sounds like it's evolved more in that direction. And, and you mentioned, uh, you made reference to the fact that at one point you kind of had the product to sell to them. You guys were doing investment deals. You guys were, you know, essentially buying properties, doing, you know, improving the properties, and then you wanted to exit out of those. So it's, it's shifted away from that into more of an education model. But tell me about a little bit, how, how is the research done uh, and who is making the decisions on the direction of the research? And then how is that filtered down into the community to kind of essentially get what's in the brains of the people doing the research into the people that actually need to implement the information? Yeah, so you know, part of the education that we provide, Matt, is we teach people to understand economic fundamentals that drive real estate. So without getting mm. really in-depth at the highest level, Right. understand that in any economy, what drives an economy? GDP. You know, if you have increasing GDP in any region, I don't care what city, uh, even, uh, you know, what, 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 uh, what state, what, what province, doesn't really matter. If you have increased GDP, what's happening is it's, it's an economic, uh, it really is a kind of a, it tells you what the economic health of a region is. So if you've got uh, GDP that's strong, let's say it's two and a half percent, let's say it's that three percent, one and a half percent, it's a positive GDP. What that is really representing is, is that jobs are being created, money's flowing, things are happening. So when you look at GDP, what happens is if there's jobs, you then have immigration into that, you know, into the country uh, because people want to go where money is. You have in, in case of Canada, you have interprovincial uh, migration from one province to the other because I want to go there because that's where the jobs are. So when you have jobs come in and you got jobs, you got people coming in through either immigration or, or um, you know, interprovincial in our case, then what starts to happen is, is that they have, a, have to have a place to live. Well, we know that when immigrants come into, uh, you know, from out of, out of country, overseas, whatever that might be, they want to rent. They move into a city and they go, well, I don't know where I want to live. I don't even know culturally. I don't know where my peeps are hanging out. You know, like, where do, where do I go culturally? 
You know, that's why you end up with Chinatowns and Little Italy's and, you know, all of the different cultures because they do migrate. They want to hang out with each other. That's fair. Yeah. And yeah. so then they get there and then they go, well, I don't have any credit rating here. I have to wait to say, you know, do I have a job? Will that job be, you know, there for a long time? And, uh, and does, then I create a credit rating with the bank so that they can lend me money. Now, once I get to that place, I go, yeah, now I, I've been here a couple of years. I know where I want to live. I've got a track record. I've got a job. So then they start to buy property. So you got immigration coming in. You drive rental demand up, which, of course, increases rent. When as, as that churn continues to happen and people gain confidence, then what do they want to do? They want to buy a home mm-hmm. and they want to have a place that they call their own. So they then go into buy. Now, then the demand increases. That's what elevates prices. And that comes from a good economic condition. So that is a fundamental uh, versus uh, an event. So, right. oh, there's an Olympics. I'm buying real estate because everybody's going to go where the Olympics are, right? That's speculation. Right. So when we look at what the economic fundamentals are, what we call the, it's a real estate success formula, you know, on the surface, there's eight or 10 things that we consider that drive a market. And then below that, there's about, 60 or 70 data points that we're looking at that say this is what's happening. And there's market fundamentals and there's market influencers. You know, influencers would be a a mortgage rate, a a change in lending rules. Those are influencers. They come, they go, Mm -hmm. you know, but in the meantime, the the real estate market continues. So an influencer can last, but it could last several years, but generally an influencer lasts a couple of years, right? Mm. And, And so those are things that happen and in real estate. Our job is to say, where's the market going? We're not speculating. We're inve- investing based on the economic fundamentals. So we look at a region. We look at what's happening economically there. And then we can start to guide people saying, hey, listen, you know what's happening in this particular town, in this particular city based on economic fundamentals. Now, okay. we have a research team in behind that. We, I, you know, My vice president of research leads that team. And she has a team of people that are collecting that data out searching that data and then putting it in. And, and really we've taken that technology now that it's, they're basically inputting data and getting a result. Interesting. Uh, in terms of like financial, like, like economic modeling? Economic modeling. So you're looking at GDP okay. growth, you're looking at unemployment rates, gotcha. you're looking at age demographics, you're looking at uh, rental rates, you're looking at what is, you know, and, and keep in mind demographically, you look at, uh, being a you know if you, you know we use the term rental housing provider because it's a better term than landlord. Landlord right. comes with a negative connotation. Yeah. We adapted and and really came forward a few years ago saying rental housing provider. You know, way softer, way more mm-hmm. professional. Mm-hmm. And so, but when we're looking at as investors at real estate, we're saying, well, who's our who's our client? You know, who is our who's the demographic that's going to rent this property? So then we look into neighborhoods. So all that data goes into a place that says we bring that all that data together and it gives investors the information they need to make really good decisions. Decisions based on data, not speculation, not because mm-hmm. my neighbor said it was a great place to go. <laughs> or the realtor. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. nothing against realtors, but listen, you yeah. know, realtors' jobs to sell real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't help it but have an agenda. You yeah. know, so they can't. It's just, you know, their job is to sell that piece of real estate. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, if you get a realtor who is also an, an investor, like a savvy investor, then, then all bets are off. But yeah, the, there's not a lot of those, unfortunately. Um, there's a couple of things I want to dig into real quick before we get into the community part. Um, so first of all, how is the research uh, disseminated into the hands of the members? What have you found to be the most effective? Do they, do they prefer that in audio form? Do you do white papers? Like considering how adults learn, how have you guys, like research is a heavy thing uh, to get into people's heads. How do you get that out there? Well, you know, those, that's a great question, and and, it, and it's it's within. So first off, we're a subscription-based business, so people are part of our community. They pay to play; they're there every month. Now we are uh, we get it into their hands a couple of a number of different ways. First off, we're educating them, so we're saying, you know, because they're investing wherever they're investing. We're, we're not we're not attached to whether you're buying real estate or where you buy real estate because we're not selling it. We're actually just really key on giving you the education to say, okay, well, I'm going to look at this specific city and I want to know what's going on there. Well, here's what I need to know. I need to know what is GDP growth. I need to know uh, immigration numbers or people moving in. What, are the, what, is the, what is the unemployment rate? You know, what are average salaries in that area? What is the driver uh, of that particular economy? Is it, or is it oil and gas? Is it technology? Is it a farming community? What is it that's driving the economy of that particular uh, city? And, and so when we give them that information, a lot of it they can source themselves if they want to. And in some of the major cities, of course, we're doing our own research on it. So we're providing, now we're providing in a couple of different ways. We do a segment because most people get their information, uh, unfortunately, um, or not, I don't want to say unfortunately, but they get it from mass media. They get it from, uh, you know, newspapers. So there are yeah. lots of headline readers in there. So if you dig into what we do, we do a segment called What's Behind the Curtain, which is really a breakdown of what is being said in public through the media and breaking it down because companies are making announcements, governments are making announcements, banks are making announcements. You know, so for, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, there was a conversation where the banks, you know, one of the banks say, you know, we expect uh, real estate prices to drop from eight to 19%. Well, you know, the realtors, you know, their association goes, well, that's bullshit because that's not true. That's actually irresponsible. So the bank's right. doing a forecast going, we see real estate dropping eight to eight, you know, nine to 18% yeah. given what's going on economically. The realtors are going, well, you know, that's not true. Here's what we're experiencing. Mm -hmm. Well, great. So you're working in real time. And yes, because of what's happening and, you know, people were locked down for months and now they're out and, and things are changing. There's some trends starting to form. But is that sustainable? Well, gosh, the economy hasn't even caught up. There's a lag time. So mm -hmm. back to how do we give research? We do it in a number of ways. We do reports. We do what we call top 10 towns. Uh, we do uh, top towns and what's happening there. So those are all things that we do, and we do white papers, and uh, we we do it um, in live. Uh, well, it used to be live events, but they're still live uh, via Zoom. We used to do it right across the country. We'd travel and and do live events with several hundred people at any given event. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, yeah, because the the news headline, uh, you know, what what we might call newsjacking or trendjacking is is really powerful because it takes something that gets their attention anyway. And then it uses that to then lead them into the research that might otherwise be dry, or they might say, well, I'll get to that. Like I can see them, you know, I think it's important to produce things like white papers and because you, you have like an authoritative statement of this is our recommendation. This is the data. Uh, and it gives it for the people that want to dig into that. Like you've got your heavy, 
you know, high C's, your analytical engineering types, that, that that's exactly what they want. And then you've got your ISs or your DIs or whatever on the disc, and they don't want any of that. They'll just give me the bullet points. And so, yeah, it's, it's difficult to kind of hit all those personality types. Well, it is. And so when we, but, you know, even those individuals that are, are not that data driven, you know, like my VP research, you know, Jennifer, kind of, you know, we, we often will tease her a little bit about uh, you know, being really geeky. She loves spreadsheets and she loves all that. And, and of course the community that, and she's great at spreadsheets and she does all that stuff, you know, and, and there's literally the people that have come to trust us this many years later, they're going, just tell me where to go. You know, what, what town should I be investing in, you know, and, and what tactics should I be using? So we have a tactics table and, you know, our tactics table is, you know, is one of those things that keeps it really simple. If it's this place in the cycle, in the real estate cycle, if it's based on if, if this is what's happening economically, this is the tactics to use. Like we're not suggesting right now that anybody do a fixed and flip. Now, it's not that you can't, and there's some pretty savvy investors that will, will pull that off. But given what's happening economically right now, doing a fix and flip, that's going to take you, let's say, four months to do the job. I mean, you got to be really, really clear on four months, if your only exit strategy is to sell, you've really increased the risk, given mm -hmm. what's happening economically. Because yeah. whether, you know, right across, you know, globally, what's happening right now is economies are being, you know, really, the, the economy's floating on government funding. It's yeah. not, it's not real. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's just not real. And at some point, you know, it's like musical chairs, at some point, the music's going to stop. And the lag time economically, and this is what people have a trouble wrapping their minds around, there's an economic lag time. So if GDP increases, let's say start to see a GDP increase, we know that it's 18 months to two years before you see significant increases in house prices, for example. In between all that, you'll see, you know, with it, let's say 12 months, you'll start to see rental prices increasing. You'll see uh, vacancy rates start to drop. Now, having said that, when you get negative GDP like we've got right now, globally, mm -hmm. we know that it's going to be a similar cycle. And I think this cycle is interrupted and, and even maybe skewed because all governments are pumping money into the economy. Yeah. yeah you know, it's like all bets are off. You just don't know exactly how it's going to shake out. But, but you know that economically, there's no question that there's going to be a downturn, a significant right. downturn. You know, the U.S. is feeling it more than Canada, for example, and other countries, you know, EU is feeling it differently. And uh, UK and, 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 of course, Australia is going through what they're going through. It's, it's happening yeah. at different places and at different timing. But there's no question. You just have to look at the economic fundamentals to understand that. Yeah. And I want to get into the kind of the decision support for the, for the community. And, and we'll, we'll talk about the live events uh, if we have time as well, because I know you guys are, you know, moving those to, to virtual kind of keeping that community going, but uh, how does the, how does the community leverage each other and to kind of talk about that research, talk about the things that you guys are putting out there and then help each other make good decisions? Well, here's the thing about it is that, you know, this many years later in the model that we have, we, we talk about community, we talk about culture, we talk about environment. And so in our live events where we would have, you know, hundreds of people show up, you know, anywhere from, let's say, 100 to 1,000 show up at any of our events. And we do regular monthly events. So if you're 
you were a member of the community and you you were then coming to regular monthly meetings. We, we would show up as speakers. There was networking opportunities within that. And that was the model. Of course, COVID lockdown, that all changed. We were already in a virtual, moving into a virtual platform. So, you know, it was, it, it, we didn't even actually miss a beat. It was like, okay, great. This is awesome. Finally, we can right. do what we want to do. You're ahead of the curve anyway. Like we're there. So, yeah. you know, we, we really are the leaders in that space and, 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 you know, very proud of what we've done because people were pretty scared. I mean, at the end of the day, we have members who have, you know, hundreds of doors and, but even those that only have three, five, seven doors, they're, they're very, they're nervous, right? They're like going, what the hell do we do? So that was a time for us to show up and lead. And that was our, our own commitment to do that. Now, what happens is, is that the veterans in the room, they know, they, I mean, they have 25, 50 doors, whatever the number is, and we don't attach to how many. We don't, we don't say you're more successful at 50 than you are at 10. I'd rather have 10 highly profitable cash flow and properties than 50 where 20 of them are leaking. You know, like, yeah, good. you want to understand yep. what I'm saying? But there's a lot of lessons that are learned along the way for those veterans. You know, I mean, when you get into multifamily space or commercial space, it, you know, the, the people just starting out, those individuals that are coming into the community that are, you know, aren't quite sure how to spell real estate. You know, they need that guidance, you know, they, and, and the community is that it's a very, very tight community. The ethos of the real estate investment network is built on that. As a matter of fact, you know, anybody kind of slimy shows up and we just say, you know, something you got to go. But here's the, here's the fundamental of that. When you're strong in your values, when you really understand your value system, people can't come into that space. If you're clear on your right. values, you can only attract people that align with those values. If you don't align, you just, you got to go. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. And that's, that's the core of the show right there. Um, and you're, and you're communicating those values, like the values come from you and from the leadership team. And then those are being communicated and put into the community through the events, right? Primarily. Yeah. Well, yeah. through the events and whether they be virtual or in our writing our blogs, um, you know, it, it's, we're in constant communication with the community mm. and at any given time. And, and so there isn't, you know, there isn't a big gap. Like we may only have a, a monthly meeting, so to speak, but we do that right across the country. And, and now we have a network nationally that get together. So we actually have Zoom meetings where 100 people will be or 150 or whatever the number is will actually show up, be on that meeting. And we found that as speakers, as the drivers of that education and that content, as we're speaking now, people are chatting, you know, they're in that, they're in that space. And because we're we just have the abilities we have to do and because we're very equipped and understand real estate. If we're seeing questions, the one thing we can do now as a speaker is we can actually address those questions in the chat as we go along. Right. Whereas when you're speaking live on off stage or on stage, you, you couldn't have those conversations. It wasn't like somebody could ask you a question. Hey, you want to stop mm -hmm. there and we'll talk to you. Mm -hmm. But in this environment we can. And then we also have a lot of very experienced members who are in those chats answering questions because they can. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's all monitored. We have a team in the back. So nobody goes offside. It's, it's just really, really tight in that way. Uh, kind of looking forward and then we'll start to wrap up. Um, 
in an environment where you can't get together as often, or let's say you, we can start holding live events again, but it's capped out at, let's say, 25 or 50 people. So you just can't, you can do live events, but you can't do it at the same scale they're used to. Um, I mean, live events are so good for that community building. You know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine that was starting a mastermind to support his business. And he, he structured it in a certain way so that people met in person first, and then you move the conversation to virtual and you make sure that you get together in person at, at regular intervals. Um, what do you feel like is that interval where a community of, you know, let's say 150 people need to see each other in person in order to keep, get that sense of community and that relationship that they can keep afloat virtually? We, to be, you know, Matt, we haven't had that experience so much. I mean, there's those, you know, it's actually given those that are kind of introverted a space to come into and, and kind of be a little bit more communicative. Yeah, I uh, see that. You know, and the extroverts understanding that it's hard. This is a space to come to feel safe. Like, keep in mind, the values are clear. The ethos is clear. This is a very safe space to hang out. Now, one of the things that we did with our with you know with our management team our executive leadership team is 100% aligned on values you know there is mm-hmm. we just this is who we are this is how we show up you know you don't you know what this interview here uh, you won't see me different if we were just sitting back and having a coffee like i don't shift this is who i am all of the time and you know there's no real persona i might up my energy or lower my energy but really this is who i am and and that's how the whole executive team operates so when the community is coming in and we're into these conversations, they're getting their questions answered and, and we're, we're there to communicate with them. We're drawing stuff out of them. Now, one of the things that we did uh, for the longest time when COVID first and everybody was really locked down tight is we did on Friday nights, we did what we call the cocktails and conversation and uh, what's behind the curtain. So we we literally kicked back, we had our beers, we had whatever we were drinking, and we would have a drink and a conversation. It was just a conversation. There was really not much structure to it other than we were facilitating. Right. And then we did we did a, an update, an economic update. I would I usually did a little bit of a rant of what I was seeing going on economically and and I can get really fired up about government and, and all <laughs> those things. So, you know, that, so I shouldn't ask you about what percentage of GDP growth is government spending and how does that yeah, actually no, affect the local economy? No, okay, no, we'll no, just no, we'll no, set no. that aside for another time. So that'll be another path. <laughs> Let me ask you real quick: um, who are who are some of your influences, especially on the community and the leadership part? Because that doesn't typically just come out of somebody's personality. Um, is there anybody that you look up to that you learned a lot from in terms of how they led a community and, and built a culture? You know, number one, I've been in business 35 years. So I have many influences. I've, I, but I, I, I have to say I'm probably the slowest study in business that anybody will ever, you know, and, and, but I look at, um, so I don't know, I have lots of influences. I, I can't say one stands out because I, I really look at it a lot. The past few years, I've been really studying stoicism a lot and, oh, yeah. and, and, and really have embraced that kind of concept and that thought process. I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, uh, you, know if you talk about uh, Seth Godin, for example, you know, wrote the book Tribes. It's such a great, great book conceptually. Mm-hmm. It really creates a powerful context for somebody who's a leader in business. And, and wants to do something in business that way. And so there's a number of people that I follow and, and 
I, I think I take my influence from wherever kind of feels right at the time. Yeah. That's a couple of really good examples though. Uh, Seth Godin's book. I mean, one of the best things he ever said was the concept of people like us do things like this. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you've mentioned it a couple of times. And I, if, if I, if I hadn't been plugged into some of the clients that I have that are really good at community building, I would have missed it as well. But you mentioned a couple of things, a couple of times about creating a safe space. And in real estate investing, that's, you know, it's kind of easy to see. You kind of keep the slime balls away and, you know, um, but I think people underestimate, especially thought leaders underestimate that if you're going to create a community, a big part of creating it is who you leave out by intention. And the people that you leave out is what creates that sense of safety for everyone else to be honest and transparent. Because if you, if you let just a few of the, the wrong types of people in, the people that are not good uh, culture fits, values fits, then you lose that sense of safety and the community and the culture breaks down. Um, so I think that's one of the, you know, clearly, you know, whether you got it from Seth Godin or an amalgamation of all the different influences and stuff, but you, you've clearly figured that out and then put that into action. It is. And it's so important. You know, I, I can't stress the values conversation enough. I, yeah. you know, I wish I would have got that lesson much stronger at 40. Mm. You your values, know what they are, stay true to those values, know that they're going to shift. I'm not talking about morals. I'm talking about values. You know, morally, we, 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 we have societal things that kind of guide morality for the most part. But when you own your values and don't have any, feel any judgment around it, or if you do, you don't care. Because it doesn't matter how clear, you know, the, the clearer you are on your values, the more those people are that you're going to attract and the yeah. rest go away. You know, uh, you know, there's lots of crazy, crazy dudes that have just lived their values and they're like, I mean, they're murderers, yet they, they attract the community because they're really clear on their values, as screwed up as that is, right? And that's just a prime example of how, how important it is to stay aligned with your values. And I get challenged on it, it seems, every day. Um, and that's just my own story. But the, the, you get challenged on it only in that if you, if you buy into the judgment that may occur, you will go off the rails. And you have to let go of judgment of those that don't share values. You know, Matt, I can say to you in a business, pro- it's, it's the easiest way. Like, I don't have any issues with confrontation really anymore. Because if I say to you, Matt, you know something, I love your business model, but we don't share common values. So it's, I just know it's not going to work. It's not mm-hmm. that my values are right and yours are wrong, Matt, but I don't see how we can do business together because your values are just different. And you'll mm-hmm. do really well living into those values. And I'm going to continue living into mine. And maybe at some point we'll come back and we'll get together and we'll be able to do some business. But right now, it isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Letting go of the judgment, the fear of being judged for having conflicting values. And, and yeah, and I couldn't agree more. It's, it's one of the, the um, we, we say yes too often as entrepreneurs. I think you mentioned that you wish you would have figured that out, you know, in your 40s a little bit better. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to take that lesson kind of into my 40s. And, and avoid some of those things because it oftentimes is saying yes to the wrong people, saying yes to the wrong relationships and business and personal. And a lot of times it just, it just comes down to saying no. And that's, you hit the nail on the head. It's the, the problem with saying no, it's a lot easier to say no when you can walk away and not feel the judgment part of it. Yeah. You have, I've, I've learned that I say yes to the relationship that's going to drive a business opportunity. And, and I have to believe in the business opportunity. But if I say yes, based on the business opportunity, I, I don't care how good it is. The risk is really high that it's going to come off the rails. 
And it may not come off the rails immediately. Worse, it doesn't come off the rails for two or three years. And then you're in deep and then you realize that the individual or the individuals you're involved with don't share common values. And then all of a sudden they have a way of treating um, you know, clients differently and money becomes the, the primary driver and it's the pointy end of the spear. And, and that's all great if that's who you are. Right. Okay. And I have, I have good friends who I would never do business with and I admire them for how much freaking money they make, but I, there's no, there's not a hope in hell that I would do business with them. Yeah. And, and it's because we just don't share values and that's, that's how it goes. And those are difficult stands to take. Yes. And, and if I'm guiding somebody in their forties as a now 62 year old entrepreneur, business owner, I'm saying, understand ego, understand what ego really is. And it isn't about being arrogant because our, our ego will also keep us small, by the way. Our ego is that place that guides us unknowingly and protects us as well. And sometimes what keeps people small is the fear of being judged or giving a shit what people think. And, and that ego protects you then. You go, no, you wouldn't want to do that. That would be silly. Then you'll be judged. You know, your mom won't love you and your best friend will think you're crazy. Whatever that is, that's actually ego. Yeah. And, and people don't necessarily understand that. What I would encourage anybody to do, if you're clear on your values, go forward. And you will lose perhaps friends. You will lose uh, people that you thought respected you. But if you're staying true to who you are, live your truth. And what you will create is a whole new wave of people that support you, love you, yeah. care for you, uh, want to be part of your community and, and go, wow, you're leading the way. I wish I had, I wish I could live that strong into my truth. But listen, you go, I'll follow. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. Right. That's a shift for people that is very, very difficult. And women actually do it generally better than men, oddly enough. But hmm. um, but it is a way to uh, own your leadership and own the community that you want to create for yourself. And it takes courage. Yeah. Love it. That's awesome. That's a really good place to stop because that's, I think that's going to give people a lot to think about. And, and there's so many people in my audience that come from the, the real estate mortgage background just because that's where I came out of. So I know there's people that'll be interested in rain just for the pure, you know, potential membership of it. But I think there's a lot of people that probably want to get connected up to you, just the feeling the kinship with wanting to build a community and, and live their values and stuff. So first of all, how do people find out more about rain from the perspective of being a potential member? And then how do people connect up with you personally? RingCanada.com is the best place to go. And, and that really, that is our webpage for now. Uh, we've got a whole new initiative going forward that's going to change. But right now, the Real Estate Investment Network or RingCanada.com is a great place. Uh, I, I do respond to all my emails, CEO at RingCanada.com. So CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And that's the best place to uh, reach out to me if you have other questions or want to know more or want to get some uh, direction somewhere else. Awesome. And then uh, just because it's coming up uh, tomorrow, our interview together on your podcast, how do people get that? Uh, the Everyday Millionaire. So the everydaymillionaire.ca. And uh, yeah, that's, that was, that's, that's been a labor of love and uh, I have lots of fun on that particular podcast. Matt, we're going to have fun on that podcast. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> yes, we will. I'm looking forward to it. I need to get myself a, uh, maybe an early, uh, I don't know about a full on scotch, 
but I may either I may show up with coffee. We'll see. But I but I might have to go with something uh, something harder to celebrate the uh, cocktails and conversations. That would be great. <laughs> All right, Patrick, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.